0: As we're uh, opening the book of Mark here, chapter 2, we can remember just a few weeks ago where I left off, we finished up Mark chapter 1 with a story where Jesus healed a leprous man. Incredible story, totally supernatural event that occurred, Jesus' divine touch. And it's an amazing thing because Jesus tells the man, I want you to go visit the priest's And do according to the law as you do so. It will be a testimony to them and, and they will declare you clean and restore you to community. But this guy was so excited as he got healed that he couldn't help himself. And so he went out proclaiming in the city everything Jesus had done. Well, that made it not accessible to Jesus in the city. He had to go outside of the city and the Bible says in unpopulated areas. You know, what's amazing about that, though, is that it says, the last verse of chapter one says that all of the people went out to see Jesus where he was. So even though Jesus couldn't go into the city, everyone went out to see Jesus. It's it's an amazing thing. And now what we see is Jesus comes back to his city, his home base, Capernaum, and as uh, as we would expect, a crowd begins to gather Now, here's what it says here in Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. I'll read to verse 12. And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, the faith of his friends, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a great question. That's a very true question. Yeah. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, he said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up his pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed. Another word is astonished. And they were glorifying God. And here's what they said. Last verse. We have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Many uh, things that we could unpack here. 12 verses. I want to focus today on the issue of faith. Now, faith is this. It's the God-given ability to truly believe, to fully trust, and to completely rely upon. The term faith is not exclusive to Christianity because people can place their faith in anything or anyone. And you know what? They do. We live in a world that people place their faith, uh, their belief, what they rely upon on themselves, Um, some on the government, some on all kinds of other people and religions and false gods. People place their faith on a lot of things and a lot of people. And to the non-Christian, they think that for us as Christians who believe Jesus, to place our faith in salvation, eternal salvation in Jesus, and to believe that Jesus will heal our bodies and deliver our souls and work in our lives, they think that's an odd proposition. In fact, some of them would even say that it's wishful thinking or unrealistic, maybe it's weak or childish. And I also know that in some cases, those that do not believe Jesus think that it is harmful for people like us to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we're eternally saved and we're saved from our sins and we're brought into relationship with him. There's actually current legislation in the European world right now that is being put together to say that anybody that would preach or teach or, or proclaim that a person who doesn't believe in Jesus ends up eternally damned and on their way to hell, anybody that speaks that, says that, and preaches that under some legislation, would be an indictable or accusable before law. That's actually happening right now. It's happening in France, actually. I heard a report from uh, some of our missions and our mission organization, FMI, that during this time of COVID, it has been weaponized. And the idea is, is that if we can get psychologists and mental health specialists and therapists to say that a person who has heard the message that if I don't give my life to Jesus, that I'm gonna end up in this eternal place called hell, that it is so psychologically damaging to them that they live the rest of their life in a damaged condition. And they're trying to get the experts to say this, to write documents to that effect. And if they can get the experts to say it, well, then it certainly will be true. And let's write legislation So that what? So we can stop people from speaking the truth. That's happening in our world, in this generation. Lest you think it's not, it is. It is happening in the Western world, friends. And this is what the non-Christian mindset, the atheist mindset, the anti-theist mindset is really all about. The non-Christian thinks these things, but to the Christian, having faith in Jesus is powerful. It's life-giving, it's hope-filled, it's transformational. He saved my soul, he changed me. He turned me around and, and he set my feet on solid ground. We believe that. But faith, even to the Christian, can be reduced down sometimes to simply an inner belief system. Something that we mentally ascribe to but really doesn't play out in our life. You know, here's something that we know from the Bible. If we have true faith inside, it finds outward expression. If our faith in Jesus does not have outward expression, the question is, do we really have faith in him at all? And how, well, how can I say that? Well, James chapter two says that. He actually says it in chapter one. He goes as far as saying in verse 14, chapter two, he says, faith without works is, yeah, it's non-existent. It's not alive, it's not real, it's not even there. Faith without works is dead. Friends, we cannot reduce faith. Faith in Jesus down to something we mentally agree with. If it doesn't find expression in our life, caution from unrighteousness and propagating righteousness in our life, it's not real faith. Now, am I saying that you're going to have extravagant faith every day of your life? No. Miraculous faith just flying out of you every second of the day? No. But you'll have real faith. It's faith you can see. And that's what we find in the passage today. Faith is seen all over the place, not in every person in the story but certainly in most. And so with that, I want to share with you a couple points as we focus on the issue of faith. Right out of the text, the first point is this, very simple. Some people in this story come to Jesus. Some people come to Jesus. Look at verse one again. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. Now, Jesus didn't have a home. This is Peter's home, most likely. The son of man had no place to lay his head. The last home he was at was Peter's home where he healed Peter's mother-in-law. So that's what we believe uh, where he was at. But he's here in Capernaum, his home base for ministry. And it says, And many gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. The people heard that Jesus was home. Uh, there was no doubt that Word traveled fast throughout Capernaum, Capernaum when Jesus had come back. He, he had been outside in the unpopulated region and spaces, and now everybody hears that He's back. Jesus is back, and he's in this house. Come on, Jesus is in the house." I love saying it like that. Uh, if I was on television, I'd say, "Jesus is in the house, but I'm not, and never will be." So And word traveled fast. There was no social media, there was no local newspaper, there was no planes, trains, automobiles, there was no billboards. And so people heard about Jesus coming and being at this house through word of mouth and it traveled super fast. I mean, today it's, it's an amazing thing. Like we have all kinds of ways to uh, advertise uh, about where, what Jesus is doing or about church. Let's just say about church. And I was just in Atlanta and it's amazing how many billboards still exist in the South. Have, any, have anybody seen this, you know? And what's even more amazing is there were so many billboards about churches and there were like these 20, 30 feet tall, like caricatures of these people, like pastors on these pictures. And I remember driving by these billboards with my son and I thought to myself, my gosh, who in their right mind would want to have their picture as a representation of their church on this billboard? I just thought, this has got to be illegal, like spiritually, for real. Uh, there's a billboard out here, ladies and gentlemen, right? I think it's on. Uh, what, it goes down to the Tacoma Flats. I want to have someday. I mean, if it's you know relatively cheap, I would love to have a billboard of Northwest Church. But I'm just going to tell you right now, Ben Dixon will never be on that billboard. All right, this face doesn't sell nothing, and I'm not ashamed of that. All right, I've accepted my lot in life. I'm average and not offended at all. It's all right, okay. But these guys got to think real highly of themselves to have that big 20 foot statue out there. I just think it's strange. Uh, Bishop so-and-so, but anyhow, uh, you know, word travels, and for different reasons, <laughs> my son last night said, Dad, I don't even know why you said that, but it was awesome, you know. Uh, but he's 13, and uh, the rest of us laughing, at, uh, we don't have an excuse. But here's my point. It says that they heard Jesus was in the house. What am I saying? Jesus' reputation at that time was so distinct and so profound that when people heard Jesus was there, they wanted to be there. When people heard Jesus was there, they wanted to be there. Now, listen, sometimes today when people hear that the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the word of Jesus is present, whether that's in our church or somewhere that we are and they hear about that, they don't want to be around that whatever is attached to the presence and the person and the reality and the word of Jesus. That's not necessarily where people live today. But I believe we need to reclaim the name of Jesus in our times, so that when people hear about the presence of Jesus, they want to be there, the one that saves, the one that heals, the one that sets free, the one that delivers. Physically, Jesus is not with us, but spiritually, he certainly is, and he's working in his church. It says, the people came and filled the house. They filled the house, spilling out through the doorway, probably outside, still hearing what he had to say, because it says he was teaching. This was a smaller house, or an ancient Near East home, smaller home, and the doors were always open except for at night in that culture. They truly had an open door policy, right? This was how it was, but nobody could get into the house because there were so many people. And what we know from this is the presence of Jesus drew crowds. In those days, crowds were not a great thing. When the Roman soldiers saw crowds, they thought there must be a problem, there must be something going on. They're looking for rebels. They're looking for insurrection. They're looking for problems, the Roman soldiers were. And, and so this, a person that was gathering around this crowd had to accept whatever consequence would come with that, the fact that a Roman soldier or a cohort of Roman soldiers might stop by to check out what's going on. There might have been a cost to gather around this event, the Jesus Conference, in Peter's mom's home. And yet they did anyways, because why? They wanted to see him. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to touch him. They wanted a divine touch from him. You know, it takes faith for them to come and to be with Jesus. It takes faith to stand outside of a house just to try to hear a little bit of what Jesus would say. It takes faith. You believe something might happen. You might hear something that would change your life. You might receive something that would change your life. It's faith that you can see people swarming around the teachings of Jesus. We, we swarm around so much stuff today. I mean, I just think it's, it's funny. We, we all do it, every one of us, me too. We swarm around uh, entertainment. For example, we go to the movie theater. I don't know if you do anymore. I haven't been for uh, 20 years, but feels like it. And, and we pay $100,000 or whatever popcorn costs. We pay 100 bucks. I mean, you're out like $100 if you have a family, a larger family. You're out a couple hundred bucks. You really got to count the costs. But in the name of entertainment, we'll gather around this big screen and get entertained and get all of our popcorn and get everybody together. We'll do all of that and, and, and gather for this reason. Tons of people all around next to each other. We gather for sports. We do that too, right? And I'm going to ruin a couple of you, uh, your perspectives right now. We, we gather around sports. Now, I like sports, right? But I always thought it was funny that 20, 30, 40,000 people would get together in one place. You can't even see the people on the field. The last time I went to a Mariners game, I couldn't even see if they were like men, women, or Wookies on the field. I didn't even know. Like, can I see your binoculars? I don't even know what's on the field. I'm so far up because that's where, we, you know, that's what we afford, there's a 300 section, and then there's the section for the rest of us. You know what I'm talking about? It's amazing. Like we'll get together, you know, and be entertained by this game. And I've I've always thought it was funny. I'm gonna ruin your Sunday just for a moment, real quickly. But uh, sports fans, uh, we people change their moods for sports. You know, you we so identify with sports. If the Seahawks lose, it's like, oh man, we lost. I'm like, you're not on the team. You're on the team. Show me your bank account. You getting millions? not upset at all. I mean, if the Sonics were back, I'd probably feel that because I like basketball, you know, but I, but that's never happening. All right. That's misplaced hope, guys. Don't, somebody tried to argue with me last night. No, don't do that. They ain't coming back. All right. So we, we so identify and and gather around this thing. We're so excited about this thing. It's like, oh man, we lost or we won. We won. No, you didn't win nothing. Okay. (laughs) Your life hasn't changed. Ma'am, sir, your life hasn't changed. All right. It's this is an amazing thing, but I I want I long for us to go back to gathering around the presence of Jesus. Now, we're here today, we're doing that, but don't you don't you want that to be the greatest thing that people would gather for? Is the person in the presence of Jesus. One of my favorite revivals is the Welsh Revival, 1904, 1905. There's a man by the name of Evan Roberts and him and a group of young adults, they begin to pray and contend all night. They begin to cry out to God and God sovereignly pours out his spirit on a small group of people and a small group of people become a large group of people. And within two years, they say almost three years, a hundred thousand people come to Christ. A hundred thousand people surrender their lives to Jesus in Wales. Oh my gosh. I've been to the UK. Wales isn't that much hundred thousand people. And there are so many accounts. There's so many stories about this that even in, in the 1904, 1905, during that time, the their World Cup of football, we call it soccer, they, they canceled it. I have pictures of how they had to cancel their version of the World Cup because people were ripping up their tickets in the street and they were filling up the churches. And they were filling up churches and they were... St- they stopped going to these sporting events because everybody, when they would get off work, they would literally, literally settle up, change their clothes, and go straight to church. And the churches were so full, people were spilling out of the doorways. And it didn't matter what church. It didn't matter what denomination. It was the presence and the power of God. People were looking for Jesus. Evan Roberts was like 27, 28 years old at the time, and he would never allow people to know what church that he was gonna be at. He would never, he, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. It's a revival. He would, never, he would never allow people to know what church he was gonna be at, so he would come unannounced. I have a story, an uh, article written about how he showed up at one church unannounced, nobody knew, and he literally had to step on shoulders and like a mosh pit, they had to like send him through the crowd so that he could get up over the pulpit and come and preach, and he didn't even preach. He just sat there and cried, and he prayed, and revival broke out, and people surrendered their hearts to Jesus. The man didn't even have to preach. He barely said a few words. But the crowds were swelling, and it wasn't around Evan Roberts. It wasn't around a pastor. It wasn't around some man or woman of God. It was around the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what I believe we need to go back to, is we need to rid our land and rid ourselves of all this personality cult stuff and all these celebrity pastor stuff and all the pecking order of the church and go back to Jesus, there's only one pecking order in the church that works. It's Jesus and us. That's it. That's how it works. Yes, there's leaders. Yes, there's people that have different gifts, but it's Jesus and it's the rest of us. And we're all in the same place and we all want the same person. We're after him and, and him alone. And we want to come back to that. I love this story and how it shows that some people had faith to come to Jesus, but not everybody could come to Jesus in this story. The second point is some people are brought to Jesus. Look at verse three. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, unable to get to him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. I love this story. It says the four men brought their friend to Jesus. When these men heard that Jesus was in the house, they didn't go get the front seat at the Jesus conference. They went to get their friend. That takes a different kind of faith. Now, yes, it takes some kind of faith to come to receive for yourself, but it takes a different kind of faith to say, Jesus is in the house? I know somebody that's a paralytic. Come on, you, you, you. Let's go get our friend so we can bring our friend to the feet of Jesus. And that's a different kind of mindset, friend. I think that's the mindset we need to have. Because the paralyzed man, he's probably a quadriplegic, which means his limbs do not function, he can't come to Jesus. He's going to be in his home, he's going to hear about Jesus, and he stays where he is. But if somebody has the willingness, if somebody has the faith to go get that person and bring them to Jesus, come on, that is a powerful, powerful thing. And we want to be those people. I love the mindset that they have. And we too live in a world where some of our friends, our family, our coworkers, the people in our lives are not going to come to our church buildings. They're not going to come to our programs. There are a lot of people in our life that are never going to make the Jesus conference in our world. They're not. But guess what? We can bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. Everywhere we go, if you're a believer, you have the gospel, you have the Holy Spirit, you know the word of God, and you got feet, and you can walk to them, and you can talk with them, and you can tell them about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We are people who bring people to Jesus and Jesus to people. That's what we do. And it takes a mindset. It takes a certain kind of faith to do that. And I think it's amazing to see the faith in these men. They didn't wait for the outreach program. They became a life that reaches out. The four men moved beyond a lot of obstacles to get their friend of Jesus. So they go get him, and they get to the house and it says it was packed. But some houses would have uh, access stairs up to the top of the roof. Sometimes they would have a room or a storage room where they would keep things and it was sort of a veranda they would have up there. Not all uh, Near East homes in the ancient culture had that, but many did. And we just sort of believe that there was some access stairs, there. so there, you have to picture this, there's four guys, there's a stretcher, and the four guys are carrying the stretcher, their friend on it, and they got to get up these stairs on the top of the roof, and there's probably these wood beams with some thatch, and Luke chapter 5 says there's some kind of tiles, they're probably made out of clay, and it says that they open up the tiles in the roof, but just think about how big a stretcher is. Now, I have, I have one, all right. Look what I found in my bag, all right? Some of you guys are hikers, and you've seen these before. These are like emergency stretchers. But just for, for your sake and, and for fun, uh, I hope I don't slip on this thing. Okay, that's the size, all right? Okay, this will hold 625 pounds. You guys want to test this after the service? <laughs> uh? yeah, I'm about 200. We'll see what happens. All right, anyways, can you imagine if us four right here, we're carrying this, and there's a guy on the stretcher, and they got to walk up the stairs, and somehow they got to like set them down. They got to open up the roof. The roof's got it. They got to, can you agree? It's a big opening. Where they fold them up and shoot them down. And who brought rope that day? Who brought rope? You know, to me, these are like the first Pentecostals. I could just say, they're like come alive and they're like, we need a breakthrough. Come on. <laughs> and they're just, you know, they're not saying pour your spirit. They said open the roof up. Open the roof up, you know. And then they send him down and maybe they didn't have enough rope. And they just drop. They just say, "Hey, he's not going to feel it anyways." <laughs> Bam. <laughs> it sounds bad, but what do you do? I'm not like what did they just have what Indiana Jones? They just have an extra like thing? What, We sanitize these stories is what we do. We act like it was just a photo finish. You know what I believe? I believe some of the details not in the text because it's not a photo finish. Because some things probably didn't look the way that we might imagine them or we tell them to our kids. You know, they just lightly lowered him down and everything was fine. And he touched right where the feet of Jesus were and the anointing surged into his body. He rose up instantaneously. No, this is not what happened. In our religious mindset, we sanitize these stories. I I highly doubt that's what it was like. I bet you they tripped and fell on the access stairs coming up. Oh, sorry, you're right, everything fine. You know, they're taking this guy up, and there's so many obstacles. They they're carrying this guy on a stretcher, and they get to the door, and nobody will let him in. Can you imagine? Like nobody will let him in. It's like being at Disneyland. Nobody's letting you in front of them. I mean, you could you could be in any scenario. It doesn't matter. Like you, this is the first time ever to Disneyland. Don't care. You'd be in a wheelchair, don't care. Everybody's in line. You know, wait, we'll wait in line for four hours for a four-minute ride. I mean, I, that's ridiculous. If I wait in line for four hours, I want a four-hour ride. I want that ride to give me coffee, deliver me to my hotel, everything. You know? And so they, nobody will let him in. And, and, and you, know, you know what's amazing is sometimes sometimes we give up when we approach God. Sometimes when we're trying to lead people to Jesus or bring people to Jesus, we give up, you know, well, their heart's hard. Well, they're not listening. Well, they don't really want God. And so we get to the front of the door just like they were and they're like, oh, we'll try tomorrow. Maybe Jesus will be here again tomorrow. Not these guys, man. These guys are like, one of them was like, hey, let's go up on the roof. <laughs> we gotta have people like that in our life. Sometimes you get annoyed by those people. If you're not annoyed by them, you are one. Yeah. <laughs> And we need you. We need the people that are willing to do the thing that nobody else will do so that we can get the touch of Jesus that otherwise we would not get. Friend, it ain't about just religion. You understand? The faith looks like something. It does. Faith looks like something. Looks like these guys bringing their friend to Jesus and going past the obstacles to get there. How does it translate into our lives? I don't, I don't open up roofs, I, I, and I don't want you opening mine. It means that we're willing to ask folks questions when we're around them. We're willing to press into conversations at work when we're able. We're willing to engage people we meet in daily life, call and text our family members who don't know Jesus to be reminded that if people don't know Jesus, then we get to bring them to Jesus. And they may never come here. They may never come to where you are. They may never ask you, but we can ask them. I mean, that's what it's about. Jesus commissioned us, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and preach the gospel to all creation. He said, go. But let's be honest, maybe evangelism's not so easy for a lot of us. Could we be honest about that today? You can't turn that thing around until you're honest about it to begin with. And we hear the call for that and it, it doesn't go over so well. But here, here's the deal. The third point is some people hinder the path to Jesus. Not everybody's got faith in this story. Look at verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there, and Luke 5 says Pharisees, and they were reasoning in their hearts. This is an internal thing. Jesus can see into the heart. Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. He's, he's sacrilegious. Uh, who can forgive sins but God alone? Which is true. Jesus is God the Son. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these thing in, things in your hearts? It just that's, a, come on, that's awesome. I just would love that. <laughs> it's like, is there a window here? Like, what, you know, they, they, they're not used to, to this. And Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? By the way, can we just remind each other? There's a paralytic guy standing here while they're having this discussion, or sitting here while they're having this discussion. I can imagine him just going like, can you get out, done with the, this conversation? You know, it's an amazing thing. I've just came through the roof. The scribes were at the house for the wrong reason. It says in Luke 5, they came from every village. Why did they come? You know, they had a spiritual responsibility to check out this rabbi, but they weren't there to check him out. They were there to kick him out. They weren't there to discover if he was the Messiah. They were there to defend their religious tendencies and and belief systems that had further developed on the Torah. They were not living the right and righteous life that they said that they did. The text says that Jesus was aware of what they were thinking. He perceived their critical heart. He could see into their heart. I wanna just bring up a point here is that he's calling out their inability to see Jesus for who he is and to see the paralyzed man. Here are the Pharisees there and here's Jesus and they're not even thinking about this man. Jesus is only thinking about this man. See, see the contrast he's thinking about this, they're not thinking about. And here's the second part of this. The scribes were taking up space for those who wanted to be with Jesus. The scribes were taking up space. Do you remember when it says in the text that when they came to the door, they couldn't get in? You know why? Because there were probably a dozen Pharisees in there that were not interested in getting a touch from Jesus. And that's what unbelief and religion will do it will suck up space and it will take space that hungry hearts actually need so that they could come to Jesus. Unbelief, the, the religious spirit always honors what God did in the past but will not yield to what God is doing in the present. A religious spirit is so dangerous, it just sucks out all the faith in the room so that the true seeker the hungry heart can't get to jesus like they need to and this is an important point because maybe we're not pharisees and maybe we're not religious leaders and and it sounds like i'm giving them a hard time and i and i am because they're taking up space when there's a man that needs the help of christ this person needs to get to jesus they're not interested in him and yet they're taking his place i'll tell you what unbelief does. I, I have walked with a number of people who have quote-unquote deconstructed their faith. I've got a lot of compassion for folks that have been wounded by church context. I've got a lot of, uh, I've got a lot of stories uh, where I've seen people who have named the name of Jesus uh, say and do a lot of things that were nothing like Jesus. Absolutely, I totally respect that. I get that. But there are a lot of people that are, you know, an atheist is an anti-theist. I'd hardly ever meet an atheist that isn't just completely sold out to preaching a doctrine of getting people to not believe. It's unbelief. Unbelief is not doubt. Doubt is an experience. Unbelief is a practice. Everybody has doubt. Everybody experiences doubt, but unbelief is active anti-belief. It's a lot different, and in our culture, it is growing rapidly. And I suspect, because I've seen many deconstruct from the faith. It is my belief that many people who are deconstructing from the faith never had faith to begin with. I'm not saying every one of them, but I believe that. And it's not an opinion, it's experience. Because often what we do is we come to Jesus hoping he gives us something. We come to him for different reasons. But if we don't come to him to get forgiven of our sin, because we have sin in our life and we need to be forgiven by a perfect savior, if we come out of religious tendency or family of origin or tradition or background, but if we don't come to receive the forgiveness of God, friend, we probably think we're doing okay by ourselves. And so it's easy to deconstruct, and you know, the Bible's not true and the resurrection didn't happen and all of this is a sham and religious people are all full of show. Maybe you haven't encountered the living God. Maybe you haven't truly given your heart to Jesus. Maybe you have never received the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's true. I used to give uh, the benefit of the doubt. I don't anymore because I've just walked with far too many people and I've seen exactly what comes out of our life. If you don't have faith that you can see, maybe you don't have faith at all. And that's where we have to start. And maybe that sounds offensive. I'm I'm saying it, but it's not my opinion. And who cares what I think? What What does Jesus say? You know what Jesus says, Matthew chapter seven? He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Oh, man, that's not the hippie Jesus that sometimes people preach, you know? I mean, that's not little Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. That's What Jesus is that? What Bible translation are you reading, the Holy One? Every one of them say it. I mean, there are things that Jesus said. One time, (laughs) I'm just going off now, it's great. Uh, Welcome to 1130. (laughs) But there's a passage where the crowd tells Jesus that his mother and brothers are outside. And you'd think Jesus would be like, oh, great, send them in. You know what he says? You know who my mother's and brothers are? Those that do the will of the Father. That's right. What? That could be a disciple out there, and I'm like, okay, so, um, I mean, amen, but do you want me to go get them, or do you want me to leave them? Like, is that? So where are we at on getting them right now? Can you imagine facilitating that? <laughs> I don't even know how I would be. It's amazing. Like, I know it's a a cultural statement that doesn't translate to us today, but I mean, just walking with Jesus provided an immense amount of tension. Because he didn't always say what you thought he would say. He he didn't always do what you thought he would do. But I'll tell you, there's, here we have the scribes and the Pharisees, the reason that they didn't, one of the reasons they didn't like Jesus is because he didn't say all the things that they wanted him to say or thought he should say that aligned with their perfect views. He would actually say the truth and they would get offended. You know, it's amazing. And they really were practicing unbelievers because the one that they're supposed to place their faith in is standing right in front of them. They can't even see him. But you know, religion will rob from us. It'll rob from us compassion. Religion robs compassion from us. When we just want to be right, when we just want to be the ones that have the right position, you know, that's fine. You can be, you'll die right, but will you help people that can't get to Jesus? That's my question today. I, I think Jesus is gonna honor those four people that went out of their way to bring their friend. And there's 12, 15 people sitting there like this, listening to Jesus' teaching, talking about what's right. You know, that's one of the ways we get deceived in the culture that we're living in. is because we're so busy taking a stand that we're not interested in going to find people that need Jesus Christ. I'll just tell you, I'm thankful that there were people that went after me when I was a young man. I'm thankful that they had compassion in their hearts and they loved Jesus and they showed it. And there, there weren't a lot, but there were some that did. And, they, and, and, and their life wasn't perfect and it wasn't you know, completely inspiring, like everything about their life was perfect, but they, for some reason, loved me and I appreciate that. But I saw a lot of religious people before I came to Christ that were, quite frankly, an obstacle of me coming to Jesus. And what I saw in them is not what I wanted. It was not faith I could see. It wasn't a faith in Jesus that I wanted. I didn't want anything like what they exhibited in their life and the quality of it. I didn't want it. And I think that the world is saying that a lot today. They're saying, what I see in a lot of people that call themselves Christians, I don't want that. And that's why we have to reclaim not only the reputation of Jesus, but the reputation of his church. Who are we and what are we? Well, you know what we, what we are? We're stretcher carriers. We're not pallbearers. Come on, there's a difference. We're stretcher carriers. That's what we are. And we have to become those kind of people where we don't just want to receive, but we want to give away what he's given to us. But the final point of the message is this, Jesus can transform anyone at any time in every way. Look at verse 10. He said to the Pharisees, but everybody, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. By the word pallet is also used, the word that's used for that is bed, mat, and pallet. It's the same exact original language word, literally, stretcher. That's what it means, stretcher. He got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God. I think he was skipping, jumping. He was the second Pentecostal. (laughs) (laughs) Woo-woo. He was at least smiling, okay? And I recommend that to all of us today, smiling. We have never seen anything like this before. Wow, Jesus always responds to our faith. Jesus always responds to our faith. He even says a little bit of faith, mustard seed of faith. It's not great faith that he just responds to. He responds to any faith, a mustard seed of faith. It says, Jesus, seeing their faith, he spoke to the man and he said, your sins are forgiven, and then he eventually healed him. It takes faith in order to get people to Jesus. Jesus. It takes a certain kind of faith that we all need to grow in. And I believe I'm speaking for all of us when I say that we don't wake up in the morning always thinking about how we can get more people to Jesus, but he wants us to. He wants us to wake up thinking, how can I help people see Jesus? How can I help people hear from Jesus? How can I help people know Jesus? What do I need to do? I'm not responsible solely for this, but if I can just help if I can be a part, I want to be. Friend, that's what Christianity is about. It's about knowing Him and loving Him and enjoying relationship with Him, but it's also about help, helping others do the same. Our faith says this if I share the gospel, maybe somebody will get saved. Could just be simply this if I invite someone to church, maybe they'll come. If I pray for them, they might get healed. You know, unbelief says the opposite. If I pray for them and they don't get healed, then they're going to lose their faith. That's what unbelief says. But faith says the opposite. If I begin to pray for my family or somebody that doesn't know Jesus, maybe they'll come to Christ. See, faith looks like something. That's what we know. And don't you know this in this story that Jesus always ministers to our deepest and our greatest need? I think it's remarkable. When the man comes down, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven this man needed healing. He's a quadriplegic. He can't move. And the first thing he does is he doesn't talk to him about his physical body. He talks to him about his spiritual condition. I don't know what that man thought and what he experienced in the moment, but I bet you he knew he had sin in his life. And there's a common theology in the ancient world that if you're sick like he was, that it's because you're being judged by God, something wrong with you. And so it's kind of an amazing thought that when the guy's laying there and and everybody in the room, the Pharisees thought, this guy's in this position because there's something wrong with him. It It can't just be a physical condition. He's got to be something wrong with him. So when Jesus said to him, son, your sins are forgiven, Jesus validated him in front of everybody else. And then they said, who are you to say that kind of thing? You can't say that, only God alone. Oh, but, oh, but he could say that. And he did. He first ministers to our spiritual condition. People come to Jesus for all kinds of reasons, don't they? We come to him on stretchers and we need help. We need healing. We need deliverance. We need encouragement. We need peace. We need hope. We need life. We need all of that. But Jesus wants to minister to the first and the most important thing, and that's to forgive us of our sin. We have sin. And this is not only an action that we commit, it's a condition that we're in. We have sin. And the only one that can cleanse us of our sin is Jesus Christ. The purpose of the cross. It's a beautiful story. He goes after our deepest need. If we need forgiveness of our sin, if we do not know Jesus, I'm not asking if we're religious. I'm not asking if we attend church. I'm not asking if we think well of God or we generally know of God. I'm saying if we're not forgiven of our sin, If we haven't given our life to Jesus, that's the first and the most important thing that has to happen. Right now, today, that's the most important thing. Giving our life to Jesus, asking for the forgiveness of our sin. But I love in this story, and this is my last thought is that Jesus looks at the man and he says, Get up, take up your mat, and go home. And that's what he does. He he doesn't just say you're healed. He doesn't just say, get up and leave. He says, I want you to take this thing. I want you to pick it up. And I want you to walk with this thing all the way home. Skip, jump, hop, shout. You just pick up your mat and go home. You know what this is? This guy is literally a living testimony of the love and the mercy of God. And he's carrying part of his testimony. And here's my thought. The thing that brought him to Jesus was the people in their faith, but this thing that they brought him on, maybe one day this is the same thing that that guy might use to bring other people to Jesus too. And maybe that's a prophetic picture for us, is that we're carrying the thing that we're also to use to help other people come to find Jesus. We are stretcher carriers. That's what we are. And we see people that are ungodly and we see people that are loud and proud about everything that is unrighteous and friends, we are carrying a stretcher and we can bring them to Jesus and bring Jesus to people. God's called us to do that. Have we forgotten about evangelism in this season? Have we forgotten that the people that sometimes we treat as our enemies or the people that we're distant to or maybe the ones that we're labeling that are different than us, those are the targets of God's love and mercy and mercy. Those are the ones we go after. Those are the ones that we're carrying a stretcher for. You say, well, they don't want God. No, man, they do. They do. They really want people like us to be fired up about Jesus. You know, one of the greatest witnesses in evangelism is on fire Christians. On fire Christians. And they see us in our love and our passion, not our perfect lives. You're not, friends, I just want to tell you before you leave church today, you're not perfect. You have a perfect Savior. You're in the midst of sanctification. You're perfect before God because of Jesus. That's why you're perfect before God. Because he sees Christ when he sees us because we've surrendered to him. That's the beauty of the gospel. But we're carrying a living testimony of Christ and he's called us to make him known in the earth and that's what we're all about. That's what we want to do. And I want to tell you this. Jesus said it is better to give than it is to give receive. Everybody needs to receive. But I'll tell you as a Christian, if all we keep doing is receiving and we never transition to giving, we will stay dissatisfied in our Christian life because he gave us something that we are carrying that is meant to be a blessing to other people. The gospel is a message that's enough for all. And he wants us to reclaim that place and that position of bringing people to Jesus and Jesus to people. Amen. Amen. Would you stand today and let's pray? Thank you, Lord. Let me say this to you. If you're here or you're watching online and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in your life, you have not given your life to Jesus, you're not forgiven of your sin, and you need a relationship with Him, Pastor Scott and some of our pastors will be up front. I want to encourage you do not leave until you come forward and talk to us. If today's the day for you to receive Christ, don't leave. This is eternal stuff. This is a big deal. This is the biggest deal. Today's the day of salvation. Come up front. Let's pray. Let's talk about who Jesus is. Let's pray and receive Jesus. And we want to pray with you. But for the rest of us, can we ask God to give us a heart to bring people to Him? Let's do that today. Amen. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for this story of a man that had friends that were thinking about him when they heard about Jesus. I thank you for that kind of faith, that example today, faith that we can see. I I want that faith and we pray at Northwest Church, we ask you for it today. We don't just wanna read about it, we want more of it. God, I pray that you would give that kind of faith to us today. We would think about our neighbors, we would think about our coworkers, we would think about the people in our family that do not know you and have not named the name of Jesus. So we pray over all of them today. Everyone in our lives that does not know Christ as Lord, we pray that you would, God, you would touch them right now. Send visions and dreams. And God, we ask that the word of God would come alive. The conviction of sin would be so real in their lives. And we would be able to deliver a message that would bring people out of guilt and shame and into your glorious light, to know that we are forgiven by a God that loves us. God, I pray that you would send us out as gospel advocates, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I thank you today. I pray you'd commission us as we go. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.